Welcome to Seeing Clearly, Acting Wisely with me, Jake Dartington. In these podcasts, I talk to other meditation teachers and today's guest is Anushka Fernandopoule. It was really wonderful to catch up with Anushka again. I first met her several years ago at a teacher conference and after that I also got to show her around London, which was a real delight. In the podcast, we're going to be talking about the Buddha's teachings on the five aggregates. And if you're wondering, what are the five aggregates and why should I care about those? Well, hopefully all that will be clear by the end of the podcast. Our conversation flowed so freely that we ended up with two podcasts. So this is part one, and I very much hope it helps you understand this key teaching. So really nice to talk to you, Anushka. Thanks so much for for talking to me. Um, and it's great to reconnect. I mean, because I haven't I haven't spoken to you for a few few years. And um, so my first question really is, you know, how have you been with the everything that's been happening, the pandemic and the lockdown and and yeah, all the ups ups and downs of life over the last uh, couple of years. Yeah, definitely ups and downs. And thank you for inviting me to, to speak with you on your podcast. Uh, what is the podcast called, by the way? Oh, it's called Seeing Clearly, Acting Wisely. Okay, okay. That's a good name. Uh, so yeah, I guess I've been trying to do that. I've been trying to see clearly and act wisely <laughs> during the pandemic. Um, things have been, um, I've been in San Francisco this whole time. And uh, things have been uh, looking up lately as we've gotten higher rates of vaccination and the uh, rates of COVID going down. But, um, you know, the U.S. as a whole, it was a very challenging time. Didn't have a great response in the beginning, didn't have any good leadership. You know, COVID was just ripping through the country and uh, killing a lot of people. Uh, so I, I know some people who have died uh, from covid and uh, or people who have been very sick and wearing ventilators and so on so uh, significant reminder of the uh, messengers of the buddha of, uh, mm. of sickness death and mm. so on gosh so so really really the the tough end of it the sharp end of what's been happening has been been really close to you yeah gosh yeah yeah and how are things now? You do you feel that you're starting to say come out of the lockdown or come out of the restrictions? And yeah, definitely. And now it's coming springtime towards summertime here. And um, where I live in the Bay Area, we have um, pretty good rates of vaccination. So the different restrictions are starting to be lifted. Um, and uh, yeah, it feels like we're kind of starting to like wake up and uh, peek out a bit more. So that feels hopeful. Yeah, good. And here in the UK, we're also, yeah, kind of coming out. And for me personally, it just suddenly really feels like time to do that, actually. I can feel uh, a need in me to reconnect with people and to be out and about more and uh, just mm -hmm. tentatively doing that. Although, yeah, it can feel what used to feel normal can now feel a bit strange to sort of reconnect with people in that way. Yeah. Um, um, so we, we're going to talk about the the aggregates in uh, Dharma teaching, but I mean, my first thought was it's actually become somewhat of a cliche, hasn't it, to say there's a lot happening in the world, um, and you know maybe particularly with the US. If I just think about you know the US over the last few years, and well, 
everything that's been happening, if we put that as a sort of broad umbrella term, and we could unpack that in so many different ways and, you know, uh, concerns with social justice, concerns about the pandemic, change in political leadership and, well, Let's just leave it at that that vast term, everything that's been happening. So in that huge context that we've been in, why would we want to think about the aggregates? <laughs> <laughs> what has that got to say to us at this at this time? Yeah, and you you summarized it pretty well. You know, like I, I almost forgot in the current moment about all the political drama that had been going on and yes. uh, yeah, all kinds of things. Um, but that I was very engaged with in some ways over the last uh, year and a half or so too. I think it's because uh, for me, actually one of the ways that I've managed to stay sane in all this or you know, that I've uh, navigated the circumstances is through taking refuge in the Dhamma. Mm. So the Dhamma is a true refuge uh, in ways that, uh, you know, we could see that like oh political life is not a refuge you know there's a lot of uncertainties in that and it doesn't always go your way and uh, the behavior of your fellow human beings is not a good refuge you know it's a mixed bag there and the economic life you know there's been a lot of contractions in the world economically uh weather-wise actually i should mention also that here in california we had these terrible forest fires um this past year and included like almost a month where we could barely go outside you know I had to wear like significant uh, filtering masks to be outside and there was one day where it was all red outside you know like just a lot of um, devastation and pollution from that uh, so you know it, it really throws us back to like what can we take refuge in and uh, it reiterates for me and it made me very grateful for the extent to which uh, I have invested in and understood the Dhamma as a refuge. And five aggregates is one dimension of that, you could say. Yeah. So what can we trust in uncertain times? What can we, yeah, what can we we look to when so much else feels unreliable? And yeah, yeah. And so maybe we can, because we're using this word aggregate, or I started using it. And um, I guess for people who've never heard that word before, it, it, I mean, it's already a strange English translation, isn't it, really? So what do we mean by the aggregates? Yeah, it totally is a strange English translation, like many of the translations in some ways that were done you know, quite some time ago. Like even for sati mindfulness, you know, mindfulness is like sort of archaic English word in some ways. Um, so yeah, the, the khandas is the word in Pali. Uh, and so this is like... A, uh, there are many sort of teachings in which the Buddha presents some kind of like a list of things uh, for us to pay attention to, or a list of things for us to investigate. And in this case, um, my understanding of it is that he's uh, directing us to investigate these aspects of our experience, like these uh, aspects of human experience um, that we often take to be ourselves and to sort of investigate whether that's actually true and the ways in which we invest in these as being ourselves or as being uh, steady or permanent in some ways or um, identify with them. And I think the Buddha is 
really interested in us finding freedom from suffering. And, you know, as we spoke about the circumstances of the world in this last uh, year or so, like it, it really has been a, a kind of a amplification of uh, dukkha, of recognition of dukkha to see the difficulty in the climate change and political life and, you know, movements of like fascism and disease and death and all this stuff. I mean, also there's been some joys too, but so the Buddha was interested in helping us to be free from suffering. So in this case with these uh, five aggregates or khandas, you could say it's uh, trying to help understand the, the way in which our human experience gets constructed, you could say. Uh, and it's something that we usually just assume and um, live with and ways in which we interpret the world and take things to be real. Uh, and things are not always as they seem, you could say. Yeah, yeah. So we, we're kind of deconstructing the notion of self, I guess, as we look at the five aggregates. Yeah, what appears to be or what we might take to be ourselves as we look into it, we can see these these kind of five elements, yeah. And uh, so maybe we can we can begin to look at them in in turn. And uh, yeah, so the the first is form, rupa. Um, w- would you say a little about that and how we might take form to be ourself? Sure. And actually, maybe to back it up one step, just to consider the five, you know, as a whole, in some ways, um, sometimes I think there's been some interpretation that um, with these five, the Buddha is defining like all of the elements separately of what it is to be a person. And I think that actually is a misunderstanding of it, because they're kind of overlapping in some way. So I think he's pointing out these five different aspects that we usually um, misunderstand and are particularly helpful for us to understand in order to, to be liberated. But they're kind of some of them are kind of nested within each other, so to speak. So we can talk about that as we go along. But so just to say, like, I think this isn't sort of like the five definitive elements of what a human being is in some yes. ways. Yes, yes. So not just kind of five discrete separate things that are somehow put together, but overlapping processes. Right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, one of the other... Uh, translations I've heard of this kandas is like heaps, like uh, heaps or piles or something like that. Um, And even with that, sort of like some piles are sub-piles of other piles, so to speak. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, but already I might be making it more confusing than clear. So you'll start with form. That's a good (laughs) Well, Rupa form is a nice nice place to start because I guess we can get a handle on, on what that one means. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so form, uh, you know, is uh, referring here to that which we usually take to be the experience of the human body, you could say. And with each of these, the um, instruction is for us to see the ways in which um, we usually take it to be ourselves. Mm -hmm. And to, uh, through our direct awareness, through direct investigation of this with mindfulness, to understand that there is no like me in this form. There's no sort of form in a sort of me. There's no me that owns this form. So in a variety of different ways to investigate this. So the first thing is just to be aware of the, the body itself, the experience of the body. And as we tune into this experience of the body, we can see that it's always changing. You know, this, what we call our body is like a concept, right? But the experience of the physical body is actually vibration and 
pulsation and heat and pressure and uh, all of this kind of stuff. And so when we examine this, we can see there's there's no stability within that in some way. So that which we call the body is sort of a concept. Um, and you know you can see this on in greater and smaller ways. And like all of the Buddha's teachings, they kind of nest within each other. So also in the foundations of mindfulness in Satipatthana, you know, the first uh, aspect is the mindfulness of the body, uh, a form you could say in some way. And it, through that, we're encouraged to notice uh, the ways in which the body changes, um, to notice the body through the elements, heat, uh, air, fire, water. We can say more about this when you want to. Um, and then about aging and death, right? And I can see actually, so we're on a video, even though this is just audio for the podcast, that you and I are both like having a little gray around the temples now. Yes. And I think <laughs> we we probably met like, I don't know, was it 10 years ago or less than that? Something yeah, like that. certainly a few years ago. Yeah. But I don't think either of us had that when we first <laughs> met, right? <laughs> so like uh, <laughs> the form is changing and... Yeah. Uh, one, uh, this is a little aside on the elements, you know, one of the, the ancient understandings of the fire element was that, you know, we each have some, some length of lifespan that we don't know how long that is. And it's sort of like, there's like a log burning inside you that uh, you don't know how big your log is or how long it's going to like burn. And when it's burned out, like you're done. And so as you age, this like, skins gets drier and more wrinkled and then you get this gray kind of ashy like thing you know and the hair and stuff and uh, that's a sign of like the aging process like your your log your flame is like burning you up and uh, desiccating you in some way yes and and i can see as you say that your your real kind of smile on your face too which is <laughs> again i think is an interesting thing as we contemplate these um aggregates isn't it because um, I often feel that, say, with the grey hair, that in the end there's no suffering with hair going grey unless we attach to it not being grey, if that makes sense, you know. And right. So there's that feeling of sort of contemplating these aggregates as part of nature, you know, that, that it's just the nature of things that, they're, that they do that. And uh, Totally, yeah. And to me also, like, understanding ourselves as part of nature, like, in some ways it's like, oh, I can actually relax because I am this same as and part of the hmm. trees and plants and you know so thus there's seasonality with the way things uh, progress in nature and then you can see that in this body as well too yeah i was just part of my um my university the 30th uh, reunion for my college class and uh, as that I, I participated, it was all online, you know, because they wanted to make sure it's uh, safe during this time. But actually, they invited me to give a, a meditation class or like session during it, which I was kind of surprised about. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting, like when I was 19, 20 and into this stuff in college, like, I don't think that many people were interested. But now, you know, 50 or so, like people have been whacked around by dukkha, by difficulties in life with uh, marriages breaking up and sickness and uh, challenges economically and so actually a lot of people came and were interested like genuinely interested in understanding the meditation and the uh, dhamma stuff behind it and then we also had a, a memorial service which we have at every reunion uh, every five years there's this reunion thing and I, I participated five years ago when we were live in person uh, but now they did it online. And so there was a kind of um, 
slideshow of all the people who had passed, like a picture of them and the name. And uh, then they had those of us who are sort of ministers in some way give some uh, reflection, like there's some rabbis in my class and ministers, and then I gave a Buddhist thing. So my reflection was basically that like, oh, we can recognize that at some point, all of us are going to be part of the slideshow, you know, sooner or later, like your name and picture is going to come up in this and you don't know when, and you don't know how it's going to happen that your life ends. And it actually doesn't matter how much money you made or how good looking you were, how successful or any of that. And in the Buddhist understanding of this, this is not meant to be like a frightening or disheartening thing, but actually just recognizing what is true. But also this can, in an encouraging way, kind of focus us on what is actually important and how do we want to behave while we are alive, you know, not to act and speak in ways that we will regret uh, and to actually recognize the blessings of our life and so on. So, uh, yeah, that's a kind of expansive reflection on form, but in the Skanda way, it's like, yeah, let's tune into what's actually really true about this. And um, the Buddha used metaphors for all of these things. And for form, he said, it's like a lump of foam, right? which is interesting, you know, like a lump of foam that you would see on the, uh, maybe in the ocean here, sometimes we see that and it looks like it's solid, but actually it's just a bunch of bubbles popping and, uh-huh. Yes, yeah, so it's sort of a, it looks solid from a distance. It's when you look closer, you can see its, yeah, fluidity or the holes in it, if you like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, and each of these, I mean, each of these, I think, is kind of like a, you could practice with it for months or years or your whole lifetime. Um, and this aspect of form, in some ways, is one of the more accessible ones. Like it's easier to understand or to practice with it. It's a good place to begin and to recognize uh, what we think it is versus what, when we actually really tune in, is actually true about that. Yes. And I really appreciate your connection uh, between this contemplation of the aggregates and the Satipatthana Sutta. And really sensing, again, from what you're saying, the, the contemplation on the parts of the body that you find, you know, the sort of the hair, the... Um, the nails, uh, the skin, the teeth, the organs, um, the contemplation on the elements and the contemplation on the decomposition of the body that we find mm. in the Satipatthana Sutta. I mean, th- those are all really powerful ways of contemplating form, aren't they? The, yeah, the parts, the elements and the, the fading of the body. Um, and it occurs to me when I teach that, I don't know if you, you have similar thoughts that there are parts of our bodies that we tend to identify with more than others. Like if somebody asks us to send a picture of ourselves, we send our face, right? We don't send <laughs> right. a picture of our toenails or kind of hair clippings or something. Totally. That's true. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And yeah, there's certain things then also you, you rec- can recognize like um, having been influenced by uh like advertising or culture or something, then we we have probably more of an idea about how our face is supposed to look or how this part of the physical body is supposed to look than perhaps our toes or, you know, as yeah. you say, like, our, um, I mean, actually now advertising has touched everything. So the front of the hand, we probably have an idea how our fingernails are supposed to look. Um, but actually, that's the back of the hand. But the, like the palm, maybe we don't have so much judgment about how the palm looks, right? Yeah. Like what the lines are supposed to look like or uh, the tinting of it or something. Yes. 
Now, thank you for raising that, because again, this is uh, so many of these contemplations are moving against certain streams in our culture, aren't they, that really are saying, you know, identify with the body, the right kind of body, bodies that meet somebody else's idea of how they should be. You know, this is a sort of ticket to happiness or well-being. Well, that's implied anyway in, in, in the kind of advertising messages. And, and this is really a contemplation of body as nature. Yeah. Right. And then also there's um, some, I feel like it, to be fair, there's some different aspects of um, like, depending on what you're up to, like how disturbing it is for you or how, how strong, you know, for example, for you and I as Dharma teachers, uh, like maybe as we get a little bit more gray, we get a little bit more gravitas and people actually believe us more. Like, <laughs> you know, it sounds like we know what we're talking about more or you interpret it like that than when we looked like very young puppies. Um, whereas some people like who are in acting, for example, women who are in acting or something, like it's more difficult to get parts if you look older, right? Mm -hmm. um, or even here, you know, in the Bay Area, there's like a very youth-oriented culture in Silicon Valley. So, uh, you know, by the time you're 35, 40, you're like old in the tech world, right? So then um, uh, I, I noticed even with men, like they want to more like dye the hair and look very youthful here uh, to be competitive in that field. So just to, to recognize there are differential, you know, uh, implications for people. And yet it's even possible to do those things. Like if you choose to dye your hair, then that's fine. But then is like, are you doing that? with a sense of real suffering around the fact that it's changing, or it's also possible to like dye your hair and just have it be something that you're doing and it's part of the game or it's not a big deal in a certain way, you know? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. 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 So there's a sense of a kind of flexibility with how we, how we are and, and how we are with these cultural norms. And, yeah. Yeah. And in some ways, once you, if you can recognize to the extent of the, to which we can recognize uh, like I am not this, like then we don't have to be as identified with it. And then it can be a bit more like play, you know, in any of these fields, yeah. I think too. So, Yeah, that's lovely. That's lovely. And I think that frees us from a kind of piety about it as well. I like that sense of play that, yeah, that's also something human beings do, isn't it? We kind of present our bodies or decorate our bodies and things in different ways. That's part of human culture. And that, yeah, so we may choose to engage in that in different ways. But um, I actually just went and got my third pedicure of my life. Yeah. <laughs> when, when I, when I went, I went to see my parents and uh, it was mostly because like we wanted my dad to go to take care of his, uh, uh, his feet. And uh, so I was like, let's all go and get pedicures. And then in doing that, I ended up getting this very, um, yeah, I'll see if I can show you sparkly silvery. Oh, nice. <laughs> can you see them? Yes. <laughs> like very sparkly silver uh, nail polish, and uh, yeah, it was just fun, you know. But uh, yeah, so I, I noticed it's like, oh, I could be very um, rigid also in being identified with being one who does not do that, right? right? With someone who does does not color their nails or who does not do pedicures or, uh, you know, I am part of nature, so I don't need any of that or something. So yes. That also can cause suffering, right? So yes. in this case, having some fluidity and flexibility, it was actually like a fun thing to do together. <laughs> yes, lovely. You, you remind me of the stories from the, the nuns and the monks of when they get kind of envious of each other's robes and things. <laughs> yeah. Anything can become taken like that. 
I'm I'm slightly uh, regretting that um, I didn't ask you to do five podcasts now. Because <laughs> <laughs> you can gonna, see I can ramble on about. Well, I, mean, I was thinking time. we've got the five <laughs> aggregates. You know how long is that going to be? So. <laughs> Let's, I mean, we could carry on talking about form, but uh, uh, let's move on, shall we, to, to feeling sure. and, yes, and Vedana. Um, totally. Yeah, well, what, what's Vedana and what's the significance of that? Yeah, Vedana, I think, is a, a brilliant aspect of the Buddha's teaching and a more unusual one. Uh, it's also one of the ones that's in the Satipatthana. In fact, it's the second uh, of the foundations of mindfulness. And um, I really think the Buddha was like a genius, you know, like the, this is kind of like a cracking the code uh, of how we take reality and this this particular dimension of uh, what we take to be real that is behind a lot of our actions. Like a lot of our, our drives come from responding, reacting to this particular dimension of this Vedana. So uh, to be clear, it's often called like feeling or feeling tone as a translation. And what it's referring to is that in any uh, aspect of our experience uh, through the seeing, smelling, tasting, touching, hearing, or even aspect of the mind, uh, there can be a particular valence, you could say, of it being either pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, right? Uh, so it's a multiple choice, three things. It's either pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Uh, and we usually don't tune into that aspect of experience. We tune into the uh, taste or texture of the food. Uh, we turn tune into uh, the like feeling of the sensation, but not that it's pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. The reason it's important is because uh, a lot of our life is actually spent in reaction to this. So there's like a response that happens habitually. Uh, that we're not aware of. And this kind of drives a lot of our energy in our life. So if it's something comes up that's pleasant, like let's say a pleasant taste or sound or image, then our habitual reaction is to grasp after it, to lean towards it, to grab at it, to want it to stay. If it's something unpleasant, then our habitual reaction is to immediately push it away, hate it, uh, try to get rid of it. And then if it's neutral, variety of responses sometimes is just spacing out or actually not paying attention. So sometimes we tend more towards seeking out the extreme pleasant or even the unpleasant because it's like something, you know, uh, like that. So then we're kind of bouncing around, getting like jerked around by all these like sensations. And particularly it's this Vedana that is driving us. And that is, you know, behind maybe why we might eat too much or eat stuff that's not good for us why people might have an affair, um, why we uh, are very unhappy when we have pain and we struggle with that. You know, there's a lot of different things that this helps us to understand if we can uh, train in recognizing this Vedana, you could say. Mm. I'm really struck, thank you, by those examples that you gave, again, which really do bring home the significance of this. I mean, if you're saying, if, for instance, you know, why somebody might, have an affair that that's starting with some well i was going to say with a pleasant vedana i mean actually of course there could well be unpleasant vedana mixed in there right too, right something there's some kind of unseen unhappiness or unpleasantness let's say in a person's life and then looking for something as a 
there's an escape from that maybe or and then yeah seeing seeing somebody and 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 the kind of the pleasantness of their appearance and somehow is then something really that could create a lot of complication in our mm-hmm. lives is born out of something that's actually begins very simply uh you know oh that person has a pleasant appearance or i mean it's it's quite sobering that almost isn't it it is it's very humbling i mean i feel like the dhamma is very humbling when we tune into it and um you know for example in that uh that case of like uh being drawn to someone having an affair with someone there's some way in which like uh we are physically like animals right like we have this mammal body and then we sometimes think that we're much more sophisticated than that because we can think and use smartphones and you know drive cars and like all kinds of like sophisticated things but there also is just this animal body and its drives which we will get to also in this uh, five aggregates thing and uh, i remember one of my uh, friends saying like that um the drives are like there and then we have this sort of like other layer of the brain that uh is primarily responsible for trying to justify the drives and like make them seem <laughs> you know like they're like rational whereas actually we're just like the dogs that go up and like sniff each other's butts and you know are like <laughs> like there's a way in which those drives are there to like you know yeah. Uh, yeah so it's good to be aware of that and um recognize that and then you know we have the ability to make choices you know that's one of the the liberations and not have to be uh, dragged around by our doggy body all the time. Yeah. So we've come to the end of part one of our conversation on the aggregates. And I very much hope you listen to part two, where we'll look at perception, mental formations and consciousness.